0: Welcome to the MTD podcast, the secrets to success. I'm Giovanni Albanese, a passionate engineer and a very proud member of the MTD team. In today's podcast, we will be discussing the secrets to success with a real life engineer in a modern day engineering facility. Today, I have the pleasure to be joined by two very special guests. Firstly, my partner in crime and the SWARF guru himself, Mr. Joe Reynolds. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Hi, Hi, Gio. And secondly, um, I have the pleasure to be joined by a good friend, um, someone that we've visited on many occasions and and becoming a bit famous on MTD, Darren Granger, owner of iSpec Precision and a very successful engineer. And, it's, and the purpose of this podcast really is to, to get a perspective um, from a real life engineer that's, that's on the ground manufacturing and to get his opinion on how to be successful in engineering. Welcome to the MTD podcast. Welcome, Darren. All
1: right, fellas, how you doing?
0: Um No, it's brilliant, Darren. And, and thank you very much for joining us, my friend. No worries. Um, Joe, I'm going to start with you. Really, um, we've spoken about stuff like this all the time on the phone, in the car, travelling here, travelling there. You know, we we we're really privileged, really, to see so many manufacturing workshops in the, in the role we do, um, and and we've obviously got our opinions on how to be successful in engineering. But you know, this is going to be a fantastic podcast, but it's because it's great to get the perspective of a real. Engineer Joe, firstly, give me your thoughts on on, on this podcast and, and, and what we're looking to to get
2: from it. Well, good to be on, here Thanks for the invite. But um, to be honest, Darren follows the blueprint, and I know you'll tell us more about his business as this podcast matures. But it's essentially it's reducing human interaction, whether that's from a software perspective, a hardware combination, of the two, getting hands off parts and getting robot grippers on them. Um, and, yeah, just taking human element out of the business and just any low, low skilled labor upskill and any high skilled labor upskill them as well. That, that's that's how I look at it, regardless of your sector, your machine type. Um, I'd be looking to automate and, yeah, just take uh, human intervention out of any process, anything down from raising an invoice to, uh, you know, to parting off a parting off a job.
0: Yeah, I mean, Darren has certainly been practicing what MTD preach without a shadow of a doubt. Now, Darren, you know, I think you've got the perfect blueprint, like like Joe alluded to, in regards to your facility. You know, you've been investing heavily through a pandemic and, and, and you've got a fantastic business model um, in engineering, when a lot of companies uh, have kind of been reluctant to spend and invest and, and holding back. Um, but before we go into the the infrastructure in, in in your business and 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 what you have invested in and the reasons why can you firstly just give our audience a little bit of a background about you why you got into engineering and, and your history yeah sure
1: yeah um... I mean, going right back to the beginning, I got into engineering, pretty much following on for what my my dad did. Um, he was a Turner in big engineering company in Peterborough, um, and then some smaller ones after that. And it seemed to be a good uh, a, a good career to go into. He had never been out of work, um, so I went on to college to from school to do engineering courses which weren't fantastic at the time. so after about six months I left that to actually go to work and then do training uh, whilst working actually at the place my dad worked. Um, I spent two years on the shop floor and then got in the drawing office. so uh, progressed in the drawing office. Uh, as well as doing me my me ONCs, my HNCs and the sort of qualifications um, ended up as technical manager of the company we worked at and uh, it it's kind of went from there um, it was because my dad had a stroke uh, I can't even—it's like 18 years ago um, it kind of highlighted if you're going to work hard work for yourself um, and I started up I spoke in 2004 and it's it's gone from there basically I
0: love that I, I, I love the fact of um, if you're going to work hard work for yourself there's so many people that think my father used to say to me get a trade get a career that will give you security and I always used to think completely the opposite because your your career is determined by the success of that company. So you haven't got any security um, it, to a certain degree. And I think that by only working for yourself, you will become the master of your own destiny and be able to achieve whatever you want to achieve. Working for someone else, there'll always be a certain ceiling there, maybe. You know, like you, you are a bit of an entrepreneurial kind of uh, guy. and uh, t- t- Tell us your, your thought process on, you know, the engineering industry has changed so much over the years, massively, and, and we're going to get into that now and the reasons why Darren ha- had to invest in some of the technology that we're going to be discussing. But, you, you know, some people look at, at, at new technology as, as – Scary. They, they, you know, they've got a fear to change. A little bit like what Darren did when he had to take the leap of faith from working from some working for somebody else to starting his own business. So what is always that fear factor. And and I think that maybe embracing this, the, you know, some of this latent technology is, is, is similar. Joe, do you agree?
2: Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I think five, six, seven years ago, it would. I get it. But, but now there's such compelling reasons to. Uh, I, I don't really get an argument not to. I guess it depends at what level you call latest technology. You know, is Darren going to spend £2 million on a hybrid machine? He may say, he may say yes. In all likelihood, he's going to say no at this stage. Um, but if we talk technology, which is the type of technology that Darren engages in, I don't think there's an excuse. The deals now—not just the list price, but the the different ways you can purchase a machine. You can lease a machine. You can rent a machine. You can have it on loan. It, pretty much every option is available to you. Um, and I, to me, I, I, it's easy for me to say, but I think you've just got to—you've got to put that toe in that water. You've got to—you've got to upskill your people. You've got to um, bring in the latest technology into your business, or certainly better than you've currently got, and. And to be honest, the people we see like Darren, um, yeah, it doesn't, have, you know, before you know it, the next one's in. Like, I know we'll go on to Dan's automation and his methodology in a while, but he seems to be buying a machine every six months at the moment. And, and I'm, I'm presuming he hasn't won the lottery. I'm presuming <laughs> that, that, first, that first bit of technology has reaped rewards. He's had a little taste for it and he's continued to invest uh, to hopefully make his company prosper for many years to come
0: yeah it's it's a brilliant success story and and and, and it's it, it's 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 lovely to keep reporting on some of these positive stories such as yourself Darren so so Darren you started Icebeck um, about 18 years ago um, what what did what was your aspirations back then what did you start manufacturing and 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 talk us through your journey really and and how you quickly learned but you needed to invest in some of the latest technology to be competitive.
1: Right. I mean, you, you go right back to the beginning. We had, uh, what do we have? We had a Herbert Pillar Drill, uh, 1960s Colchester around Lane, and a Beaver Turret Mill. And originally the, the sort of idea was because my dad's stroke was um, – uh, bad enough to mean he couldn't work a full-time normal job it was to give my dad some uh, rehabilitation to give him something to work his mind to and whilst he lost the ability to read and speak he could still read numbers he could still read engineering drawings which is bizarre so you know we started off making a very simple path there's overflow production for the company I worked at. Um, I, I worked full time as well as starting high spec for a year and a half. Um, and then over a period of time, it seemed become apparent that I really needed to, to, to put everything into it and give it a go. Um, so we bought... CSC lathe because it soon become apparent, you know, we can be producing radio on parts or tapers and that sort of thing to the quality people wanted with the manual lathe. So we bought our first CSC in December two thousand and four, which was one of the Colchester flatbeds. Um and then it kind of builds up. We've we've never put machines in And then gone and looked for the work. It's always because we've had the work or the desire to, to be able to do something different with what we do. So, um, it's, it's gradually grown from there to then adding maternity center with a bar feed so you know I can stand by it. Um, and then the CSC mills and so on and just gradually got more and more and more.
0: And what kind of work did you do and are you still doing now, Derek?
1: Uh, My history in my previous employment was hydraulics industry, hydraulic cylinders uh, primarily. So that's where we started. We were making parts for uh, hydraulic rams. We were making parts for machinery that uses hydraulic rams, um, simple bosses and pins for plows and crop sprayers and all of that sort of gear really and we still make a lot of the same kind of parts now um, so certain things have become more exact and more complex some of the valve work uh, surface finishes tolerances all of that and um, but yeah, I mean, we're still heavily involved in the hydraulic sector. We, we, we do a lot into the aggregate sector, the rock rushing machinery. Um, that's partly because of where we are, uh, Leicestershire has got a big quarry and mining, uh, manufacturing base. So, you know, it seems daft not to tap into that. Um, and yeah, we just, If somebody wants something doing and we can do it at the right price, then we do. It doesn't matter if it's a washer or a pin.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, Darren, I'm always intrigued. How do you go to market? You'll have a website, you're active on LinkedIn and what have you, but how do you get more work? How do you go about, you know, sourcing new work?
1: We've been so busy over the last five or six years, I've tended to, move away from new work um, if people do come on it's it's a very careful consideration if we take on new customers because the last thing I want to do is upset the ones I've been dealing with for years by taking capacity away from somebody new um, in the early days it was a lot of word of mouth networking so to speak but knowing people Getting given the chance to supply um, and building on that, you do a good job. Hopefully, people come back uh, and you work hard at it. Yeah, no, I, I
0: think that um, what you, what you, what you're saying is absolutely priceless. Really, I mean, it, it's it's bonkers, isn't it? When you you, you kind of think that there's, there's engineers and manufacturers out there at the minute really worried, um, not competitive, um, struggling to think uh, from, you know, not sure where their next work is going to come from and you're not looking for new work. I think that says it all for me. I think that that really highlights and identifies that at the, this present moment in time, you, you are definitely doing something right. Um, and, and let's talk about what we feel that you are doing right now, Darren. I mean, You know, it was a a couple of years ago um, and we had this conversation before we we started recording the podcast. But it was only a couple of years ago when I first met you, when you when you had your first robo job on on your CMZ lathe. And and I can remember talking to you back then and you said to me, Joe, I've only got this robo uh, job because um, I was too busy just running around all the machines um, and I had to kind of try and free up my time to start running the business. <laughs> and, and that was about two years ago. Now, since then, things have changed drastically. So can you kind of tell our audience what's changed? No, actually, before we go into what's changed since then, can you tell our kind of audience, you know, how did you feel like before you took that leap of faith into a robot? Did, were you scared? Did you have any hesitancy?
1: Not really. I mean, from from my point of view, it was another machine. It was another part of the machine. Um, the the setup of the robo job, um, the information that Hydrofeed gave us in the initial quote stages, it just looked so easy. Um, you know, you concern that how's it going to integrate with the machine or how's it gonna how's it gonna do this or how's it gonna do that? And as a user, you really don't have to concern yourself because Hydrofeed, Robojob, just cover it and you get a system which is there, it's easy to use and if you think carefully at the beginning about what you want it to do within reason you'll be able to get it to do what you want it to do if you want to have a cmm or a marking machine all built into a cell then yeah i'm sure they can accommodate that so it's the point
0: point i'm trying to get at, though darren you know there's some people um or engineers that are reluctant to take the leap of faith into automation for whatever reason that is i mean in the UK, we're, we're slow, so slow at adopting automation. And I think COVID has certainly accelerated, you know, the new emerging technologies. But you did that before the pandemic. You know, you took that leap of faith. You identified that you needed um, a robot to run the machine and, and not a man. You identified that, you know, I don't need to be, you know, manning this machine and changing parts. A robot can do it for me. But did, did you have any hesitation? Was there, did you do, how did you, where did your confidence come from just to, to go and invest in that first robot? Did you think it would work before you'd even purchased it? I think these are the kind of questions I'm trying, trying to get at. I mean, um, yeah. you, you've, you've identified the pain point and that pain point was your time. You needed to release some of your time and you, you found a solution that, did you know before the Robo job arrived that it was going to work?
1: I had every faith it was going to work. Um, I mean, from before I started my you know, business, you would see in various industrial magazines and such, big companies, you know, massive blue uh, chip companies with robot cells, uh, and you, you you knew that was how you would move forward without the need to involve people. Um, not that I've got any problem with it, employing people, but it's it's not easy. <laughs> uh, you've been to my place. I'm in the middle of nowhere for a start, the skill shortage and everything else. So you, you kind of know that robots are an option. Um so when it got to the stage where we needed to to do something it that tends to be what forces it you can go so long uh doing it a certain way and after the lab that used to run the two machines left to go and be motor vehicle mechanic um and i had to step in there as well as doing what i was doing anyway you think well yeah i can do this for a few weeks or whatever but long term it's not the option. So you either, you either get another person, which would be difficult, or you get a robot or a piece of automation or something to do that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I have every, every factor of work.
2: Yeah, the, and, and the good news with the robot, of course, we all know they don't need to socially distance. They, they're happy to work Christmas Day and all, and, and all the rest of it. But <clears throat> the, the perception is I I hear all the time, I only do batches of 20, 30, 50, maybe 100. I need to do thousands to to invest in a robot, but it just isn't true, isn't it, that the way to make money is automating uh, low volumes.
1: Yeah. um, Whilst we do big numbers, hundreds, thousands, um, particularly bar feed stuff is in those numbers, most of our hand-fed billet work will be – 10, 20, 50, 100. Um, I set a job on there this morning that ran out that was 50, but it only took three hours to do 50. But whilst it was doing that, I was setting another machine. So otherwise, you know, two-minute cycle, I wouldn't have been able to get off that machine and do something else.
2: Um, And what what would you estimate? How many hours does it run on its own in a week?
1: because of the variation in the amount of jobs we do and the, the work we do it's it's a little hard to say but it will be running at least 70 80% of the week on cycle with the balance being set up
2: yeah because again because people people look at a vmc and they think they're 20 30 50 80% efficient whatever it is but I can tell you, it's always fifty percent what they tell you it is. You know, you, you you walk down a machine shop, and there's more red lights than green, typically. Um, and it's it, it just staggers me how, how more people don't invest in uh, automation, even if it is straightforward automation. You don't need to spend a quarter of a million pound on the cell, do you You can have fairly cost-effective, uh, low entry point automation. Yeah, yeah I think. That- Sorry, Darren. No, you
0: go. Oh, yeah, oh, just, I was just—I was going to say—I just like agreeing with what Joe um, Joe Joe said. Really, I think that with automation, you know, it, it ultimately can make you more profitable. You know, you, you're changing your machines into money printing machines. And and I always used to—I well, used to in, in my past role used to, you know, sell bar feeders, um, short and long bar feeders, and um, you know. You never see a sliding head without a long bar feeder. It's it's standard with that machine, um, and and the, and obviously in the past, and this is in the past, you'd associate bar feeders with, with just very high volume repeat work, and and effectively the automation was built in, and effectively it was just like a money printing machine. They'd run twenty four seven and there'd be a Ferrari outside the building. And once you've got one sliding head in there, you'd have several of of them in there just printing, you know, machining parts um, away. But that philosophy has never been, um, until maybe recently now, you know, has never really been adopted in all the different uh, other engineering arenas, you know. I think that, you know, OEMs used to always purchase or or add-on third-party automation solutions, but now they're all, they're providing their own automation solutions because you know due to the market change and demand, and um, it's absolutely and utterly essential that engineers use automation to stay competitive. Not just you know in the UK amongst ourselves, but globally, more importantly. And and I think that you you probably started. Your automation journey before others, Darren, Um, and and I think that you're 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 kind of now um, reaping the rewards from your kind of foresight, if you like, and and looking into the future and realizing what you need to be able to be successful. Because I've been in no end of engineering companies and and met you know small engineering companies where. They are still doing it how you were doing it, and they still haven't took the leap of faith into automation. You know, they've had to run the machines themselves as an owner of a company, and, you know, employing uh, person to person. And, and, and you know, and, and for me, I think that, you know, a man should be doing the process development should be doing the process improvements, the programming, the juicy things in engineering, the nice bits about engineering, not the just the loading and the deloading of the part. And you, 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 you've, you've nailed it, uh, Darren. No, Darren. Tell our audience about since that first robo job, what's happened to your business and, and how fast did you invest then in, in, in your second uh, big investment into automation?
1: The um, the first round job come in, and almost immediately, you could you could stand back and go, why didn't I do this sooner? Um, so uh, Ashley from Hydrofi come down to to do a site visit, you know, after it was up and running, um, and he just said, "Oh, it's good, nice tidy, uh, nice tidy sale." So, okay, prep me yeah. for the Herco. <laughs> um, and it was, I think it took a couple of weeks to get the, the quote in for the herco And yeah, it, it was a holder. Um, there was no question. It was that easy to see, that apparent. Um, it made that much difference. And that that's the best thing when you get the investments right, that almost immediately you can see, how much difference it will make, then, yeah, it's, it's actually small. Um, Time
2: is money, isn't it, Joe? <laughs> indeed. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, indeed. It, it's uh, exactly that. It's uh, we. I get a lot of SMEs, you know, sub 20 people, if you like, and the amount of owner drivers, as we call them, operators, stood there, when I say operators, I mean um, owners of businesses, uh, stand there loading billets and don't get me wrong we've all done it we've all grafted and we're not scared of grafting but financially it doesn't stack up does it it just doesn't make sense that if you look at a robot even if, if even if you finance that robot it's cheaper than a human being so and the more efficient yeah very much
1: Yeah. So. But-
2: yeah, and and and
0: moving on from the robo jobs investments now, like Darren, you know the, the second robo jobs not only not own the only investment you've made in the last two years. You just seem to be going from from strength to strength. And and um, yeah, before I get onto our well, before we get on to our next questions, can you just like give our audience a little bit of an indication on what you've invested in the last two years especially in, in, in the last few months in, in the midst of a of a big big pandemic.
1: Yeah sure. Um so we had the first um big investment which was the three CMZ layers and they landed january twenty nineteen. Then around April time the first rabo job was put on one of the CMZs. The other two CMZs have got bar feeds um, and then October time in that year, we had the Herco 5-axis have its robot job installed. A month or so later, we had a minor co-pallet change it put on, another one of the Herco verticals. Um, and then I gave it a rest for about five, six months. That tell a three or four months. And that's when we bought <laughs> it. That's when we bought a CMZ. Um another CMZ like with the gantry. Uh we went for the gantry because of the floor space, the gantry being over the machine. It didn't take up the same amount of space. And then I thought, yeah, that's it, I went by the machines for yeah, for about three months. And then <laughs> we uh, we ordered the Kitamura ten pallet machine that got delivered two or three weeks ago. Uh, oh, it's I forgot brilliant. the um, I forgot the CNC CMM machine that came about weeks <laughs> ago. <laughs> yeah, it's not. So. Right. It's not white right if you don't check
2: it. <laughs> no, opposite, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell it if it's not measured. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know
0: what? I've, I've done technical corners today with um, Zeiss. Uh, and honestly, you know, there's too many. Again, you know, this this is a story for another day. But there's too many engineers out there that look at inspection as a completely different process to machining. Inspection costs you money, machining makes you money. But just like automation, in my opinion, you need to look at everything as a complete process to get the best process. And um, one massive question really uh, for you, Darren, which really will sum this podcast up, you know, can, would you say, for example, you didn't invest in that robo job, two years ago, your first robo job, you didn't invest in that. Where would you be now? Could you still be competitive? Could you... St- what, what, where would you be?
1: Realistically, I think if we'd followed the, the path we were otherwise on, we'd have struggled to have got skilled guys. Um, that would have reduced the amount we were capable of doing. Um, and therefore we wouldn't have been putting out as as much as we do and therefore profit, the profit margins, um, they have gone up. Um, the, the output, the physical sales, the, the turnover has risen slightly, but my headcount has gone down tremendously. And that's not because people have lost their jobs, that's because of retirement. Uh, We lost three, four people within the space of six months back in 2018, I think it was. And you you can't replace that skill immediately. So, yeah, we we wouldn't be where we are without the automation. Um, And I've got no doubt in saying that, so...
0: Yeah, no. I mean, Joe. I mean, it speaks for itself, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised you, you've said that. And I think if we asked you that question in another four or five years, it, it'd be it would be worse still, wouldn't it? I think people people think you might need to automate to go and get new work. I think it's getting to a stage where if you don't automate, you're going to lose the work you've got. You know, and it's so. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how many, how many ways I can say it. Really, just less hands on parts. Just you know, even cycle time becomes less important. I know that sounds ridiculous, but you're better off having that spindle cut in. You know, ninety percent of the week rather than rather than twenty five percent of the week. You know, and yeah, of course, look at your cycle time, but more importantly, keep that keep that spindle keep that spindle uh, moving and and making you money. But uh, but just quit on for me, Darren. I know what you've got. Uh, you've got engineering, your first love. Apart from your family, of course. But uh, you've got another think, uh, you've got another love, your guitars. Just tell us briefly about that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, me and my brother have been playing guitar since we are about 13. Um, we played in bands together. Um, and uh, about five years ago, we decided to have a crack at making one. You know, when you, you look at the videos of the factories these things are made of, particularly the American brands, it's all. Haas and fade machines, and it's like, oh, well, I've got a factory with some of these types of things, and we'll, we'll have a crack at this. And we, we made a couple, enjoyed doing it, so we made a couple more, and gradually we built up a our own brand of guitars and guitar parts um, that we sell all around the world, and... Uh, yeah, in five years of doing it, sort of day, day and a half a week, we made and sold fifty instruments and uh, a hell of a lot of guitar fans.
0: No, no yeah. mate, I, I love the I love the guitars. They're absolutely awesome. And um, yeah, I look forward to to, to to being invited to one of your gigs, Darren. More importantly, and um, just to summarise from from me, really, thank you very much for. Give, giving MTD an insight into your business and, and, and a real life example of what it means to invest. And it's not just a gimmick. You know, we've been banging on about it for so, so long and, and you know, beating the drum, beating the drum since I started at MTD three years ago. And I think people have finally started to to, to listen. And um, But, you know, it's not just the automation, is it, Darren? You, you've invested multi-millions multi of pounds into lots of, new technology and um, just for me really you know how important is investment in this industry to stay competitive that's my last question for you mate and 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 for all our listeners out there if you've got any questions or you've got any doubts in regards to investment give Darren a call uh, uh,
1: investment <laughs> is, yeah, I mean um, if we stayed doing what we were doing we'd still be turning on uh Herbert capstan legs for production purposes it, um, everyone's got Herbert I've got Herbert or Ward or whatever it be but you only use them for bits and bobs these days you're not You're not expecting them to be the primary production equipment if you don't move with the times then you will eventually disappear um, and if, if you if you look at a process that you've got to do in your workshop and you investigate different ways of doing it and you find that you've got i don't know let's say one man doing a job on a manual mill and it takes him half an hour or you've got one man running two vmcs that are producing x amount of parts in half an hour against that one man's one it it doesn't take long before the penny drops. Um, I mean, the, the recent investment in CMM that we've made. I was originally looking at a, a manual CMM, and during the demo, they just happened to show me the CNC one. Mm-hmm. And almost immediately, it's like, well, when you when you're you're setting the CNC side of this machine, this the CMM. You're doing the manual process, you're moving it, you're touching the part where you need to touch it. And then at the end, you just press play, and it will repeat it. It's like, well, why would you have a manual CMM? So all of a sudden, you know, my inspector, he can go and put a on the bed, he can press play, he can then walk off and do something else, come back and the machine will tell him. And it's that technology that's then allowing you to get more out the skilled people. And you know, that, that's really key.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, it's it's not just about the technology, it's about embracing that technology and using that technology to its full potential that to benefit your, your business. Joe,
2: any last thoughts? No, I think you guess you can see where I'm coming from. Continue to invest. You know, tax advantages we haven't talked about, but there are there are a few out there. Um, but yeah, just do what you can. Speak to people with Darren. You, you know, you can find him. Find them on LinkedIn. There's other people like Darren Invest in technology, uh, and it's fair to say Darren's not a. He ain't got thirty. You know, he's not a thirty million pound business. He's a good old SME, um, and yeah, and if Darren's doing it, you can too.
0: Joe, been an absolute pleasure as always the mr. the Swarf guru himself mr. Joe Reynolds uh, Darren thank you very much my friend it's been an absolute pleasure can't wait to revisit your company soon and um, look at all the new work holding um, palettes that you've filled up now um, and and I'm looking forward to find out what you've gone for and um, For our listeners, thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please let us know what you think of this podcast with any comments. If you've got any questions, let us know. But until next week, the MTD podcast. Thanks for listening to the MTD podcast. If you found value in this episode, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. Find more episodes on mtdcnc.com.